The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back, everybody, to The Right Opinion right here on therightopinion.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com, and ratsaladreview.com. If you aren't doing so already, please be sure to like and share and subscribe and all of that good stuff. Also, follow us on social media at rightopinionpod. You can find us there on Twitter, on Instagram, and on... Well, I don't think Parlor's up yet, and I'm having my doubts that it's going to be up anytime soon, but if and when it ever does go back up, you could check me out there at The Right Opinion Pod uh, on Parlor, if and when it ever exists again. But, hey, we're back. I've got some things to talk about. I unfortunately don't have a ton of time to talk about them, so I'm going to try to squeeze in all of my items here as best as I could conceivably do in the time allotted to me. So this is The Right Opinion. We talk about politics, particularly from a right-wing perspective. Uh, It it just so happens that that happens to often be the right perspective, which is why it's The Right Opinion. It's a double entendre for those of you too slow to pick it up. Anyway, boys and girls, sit down. Daddy's got some truth to spit. Now, (laughs) I'm going to open up the show in a very uncharacteristic fashion. Typically, A lot of the time on this show, I spend a lot of time shitting on leftists. And rightfully so, they deserve it. That said, on occasion, leftists do occasionally do the right thing. It's really, really weird. It does happen, you know, broken clocks, right twice a day and all. Blind squirrels occasionally find a nut. And leftists occasionally do the right thing. So I've got three or four examples here. And I'm going to go through them, mostly because I think... Not that they're listening to this show, but I think that when leftists do the right thing, we should reward them with some praise, right? This is positive reinforcement. It's like training a puppy. Oh, good. You peed on the pad. Here's your treat. That's sort of where we're at with these people, and they share the same level of intellect as a puppy anyway. But I'm going to open up with Politico. Two editors at Politico recently reached out to and worked with Ben Shapiro. To write their Monday morning playbook or their morning playbook or whatever it's called there. Basically, the morning playbook is kind of like a pseudo insider guide to what's going on for the given week or the given day or whatever the case may be. The editor for the morning playbook from Politico left a while ago and the guy who was writing the regular um, who was writing the regular piece is no longer there. So they've been bringing in these guests writers from time to time and they've Obviously, largely been leftist. Yamichi Alcindor from PBS wrote for them. She's about as radically leftist as it could conceivably uh, be, as anyone could be. But they also, to their credit, reached out to Ben Shapiro. Not exactly a leftist. Certainly was not in line with most of their readership. Definitely not in line with most of their editorship. And Ben told them, look, if you ask me to do this, it's going to get ugly. They said, we don't think so. 
we're going to push forward. So more shockingly than anything that I just told you is that when Ben wrote for the Politico piece, the morning playbook, and the lashback that Ben told them they would get occurred, they didn't cower. They actually stood by their decision to publish Ben Shapiro. Bravo, Politico. I'm actually genuinely shocked and, for that matter, equally pleased to hear that about 255 staffers at Politico were so triggered by this that they had to have a massive Zoom therapy session to, to, to you know, calm their fifis after they all freaked out because Ben Shapiro was able to write, we're legitimizing a voice that has an infinitely larger audience than I could ever conceivably have myself. Ben Shapiro is on regular radio across a, a n innumerable syndicates on, on, a, on a daily basis, not to mention he has one of, if not the most popular political podcast in the country. I'm sorry to tell the fools of Politico that Ben Shapiro legitimized you more so than you could ever conceivably legitimize Ben Shapiro. And to just prove that he hasn't lost his touch, Ben and his friends over at the Daily Wire, which is his outlet, sent Politico... 255 leftist tears tumblers for the 255 staffers that needed to cry on Zoom in front of presumably basically every other loser that was wanting to cry on Zoom that's under the employ of Politico. Bravo to the folks over at Daily Wire. That is some top tier right wing level trolletry and I, I'm here for it. I appreciate it very much so. That said, I have put a link to the Politico playbook in the show notes for you this week. And look, I don't even care if you read it, but I'm asking you to click on it. Not that I want Politico to get all these extra clicks, but I'm wondering if maybe, just maybe, we give them enough positive uh, reinforcement here and let them know that, hey, you can have Ben Shapiro write for you, and maybe you'll piss off some of your core audience but some of us that are not core audience members of the of Politico will actually come over to your platform and see what Ben had to say. Because I know this sounds crazy, but maybe on occasion you should let an opposing point of view have a voice so that people on your side who generally don't read the Daily Wire, I can assure you, are aware of what the most prominent opinions are of some of the more prominent people on the on the right. And Ben Shapiro is obviously not a politician. He's not running for office anytime soon, but he's probably the loudest, most well-known voice on the right. He also happens to be incredibly rational and reasonable in the way that he looks at things. And while he voted for Trump in 2020, he has been more than, than willing to take a dump on Trump when the time calls for it. I think this is a great move by Politico. I encourage them to do more things like this. I have my doubts, especially based on the reaction that they got. By the way, again, Ben told them they would get this reaction, and they said, eh, it'll, it'll be fine. And he's like, wow, you guys really don't know your own audience. And maybe, if nothing else comes of this, at least now maybe the folks at Politico are aware that when we tell you that the people on your side of the aisle are radical and insane, believe us. Seriously. Moving on, number two, leftist that is getting applause this week, Matthew McConaughey. Hey, hey, hey. Um, but Matthew McConaughey sat down, virtually, mind you, with Jordan Peterson recently and did an interview on Jordan Peterson's show. It was a really civil, really constructive conversation, dealt a lot with 
fame and how our society works and how Matthew McConaughey's managed to kind of navigate that space, really. Obviously, he's incredibly famous, in case some of you aren't aware. But Matthew McConaughey sitting down with Jordan Peterson got Matthew McConaughey a lot of shit. People freaked out. How dare you, once again, legitimize this voice? Which is, again, strange. While Matthew McConaughey is obviously the more famous of the two, I think if anyone was looking for, like, a solid political take or, like, a psychological take on something, I would think Jordan Peterson is the more legitimate of the two. But, hey, I don't know. Maybe Matthew McConaughey and his Buicks that they don't pay him to drive, that he just drives anyway, which is complete and utter bullshit. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe he is the superior political intellect. I actually, once again... I'm going to encourage you guys to listen to this one. It's on Jordan Peterson's platform, so you don't have to worry about giving leftists any clicks in this case. But I actually really enjoyed the conversation. That said, I'm extraordinarily worried after listening to it that Matthew McConaughey is thinking of running for office one day. And let's face it, Matthew McConaughey is that combination of likable and dreamy to a certain percentage of the population to where he could get votes even though he's not even remotely qualified to get votes. Actually, I wouldn't be all that shocked, even though he is a white male, if let's say Kamala Harris ends up the president and she has to just arbitrarily name a vice president, somebody that could help her win the presidency in 2024, Matthew McConaughey's not a terrible bet. Now, I think The Rock would probably be a better one if we're looking for Hollywood types, but Matthew McConaughey, there's got to be a reason why he did this, because he obviously had nothing to gain from it, and I'm inclined to think that this could be the beginning of a political career. For Matthew McConaughey, I know. Stranger things have happened. I mean, Donald Trump was just our president. So, moving on to number three, Bill Maher. Bill Maher is one of these guys. I detest most of his ideologies, but I like his delivery. I think he's funny, especially when he's not just going full bore into the anti-Trump stuff, which obviously we should see less of moving forward. But I'm only peripherally aware of what goes on on Bill Maher's show a, because of Twitter, and B, because of my father. My dad is really conservative, as you can imagine. He's not nearly as radical and vocal as yours truly, but he's he's about as conservative as you can be if you just were to break down the principles that he holds. That's, you know, sort of how I stumbled upon the same principles. But Bill Maher does on occasion slap at the left a little bit, which gets him into some heat, but all these idiots still tune in the next week to watch a show anyway, so who could blame him for repeating the process? Bill Maher had the audacity, the temerity, the testicular fortitude to differentiate between a few hundred idiots that broke into the Capitol on January 6, 2021, and the 75 million people who voted for Trump. I don't have the clip here. Don't feel like finding it, frankly, but that was basically the gist of his monologue for one of his more recent shows, is that he was telling people, look, if, you are, if you're under the impression that every person who voted for Trump is okay with what happened on January 6th, you, you live in a bubble and you need to get out of it desperately. Because, I mean, again, people like Ben Shapiro, people like myself, people like Dan Bongino, people like... Um, I, I, Glenn Beck, people like Dave Rubin, like anybody who's in this conservative, libertarian, right-wing, anti-leftist, anti-communist space, I'm yet to hear a single person applaud what happened on January 6th. I'm a single one. I'm not even hearing excuses being made. As angry as I was about it, I might have been the closest to coming up with some semblance of an excuse for what happened there. And again, I don't think anything that happened there should have happened. I'm appalled 
by the, the actions of those people. Uh, the, every time I see a video of them beating up those Capitol Police, I just, I, I don't even know what to do with myself because clearly these people are just lost souls above and beyond whatever they've been fed by the news or the alternative media or QAnon or Trump or whatever. These people are clearly damaged individuals that can be easily talked into apparently anything, so much so that even if you're not telling them to do something, they will go out and do it anyway. We'll talk a little bit more about the incitement as we get into meaningless impeachment number two, which we will definitely be talking about before I leave here today. Number four on the list, I actually don't have this on the list, and frankly, I don't know that he's a leftist, but he sure as fuck has been acting like one a lot recently. Dr. Anthony Fauci. So Dr. Fauci, you might remember, was the guy in charge of the coronavirus task force under President Trump. He, shockingly, has kept his job as the head of the coronavirus task force under President Biden, which is really weird because that same administration took office and immediately told everyone, oh, well, we don't actually have a plan for vaccine distribution. The, the previous administration didn't really have a plan, so we got to start from scratch, which was obviously not true, being that millions of people have already been vaccinated, but neither here nor there at the moment. That doesn't stop the media. They just go running with the lie. Oh my God, they have to start from scratch. Trump did nothing. Because that's what they've been telling you for all this time anyway. So what difference would it make now uh, if they just continue to perpetuate the lie for yet another several months? It, it Anybody else seeing where this doesn't add up? Let me Let me try to break it down this way for you. On one hand, Trump had a coronavirus task force team that was led by Anthony Fauci. They apparently did nothing. And now Anthony Fauci is in charge of the coronavirus task force for President Biden? Well, I mean, if he was in charge of the previous administration's task force and that task force did nothing, as we're being told, despite the fact that there are vaccines in millions of people's arms here in the United States, and frankly, across the world, many of which would never have seen a vaccine had it not been for the United States and the regulations lifted by Donald Trump, but neither here, neither here nor there at the moment. Let's So this guy was in charge over here. They sucked, apparently. And now we're trying to not suck, so we're going to put the same guy in charge? No one's, no one's seeing any cognitive dissonance with any of that? Of course not. If you're in the media, this all makes perfect sense to you. But... Dr. Fauci, to his credit, came out and dispelled the lie that they are starting from scratch. And for that, we applaud him. Thanks, Tony. Um, so, yeah, there you go. There's your leftist that actually did some right stuff. And good for them. Let's hope they repeat these actions. And if they do, we will continue to applaud them right here on The Right Opinion. Now... If it's all right with you, as per our usual arrangement, I'm going to go back to shitting on leftists again because I just ran through the only four that have done anything good in the last week or two. So let's start with one of the worst leftists, douchebag of the century, Andrew Cuomo, who is awful.com. Um, Fredo's older brother really, really trying hard to be the dumber Cuomo brother. Unfortunately for him, Chris continues to lower that bar to the point to where Andrew will never actually reach it. So he's just going to have to settle with being a really dumb older brother to Fredo. who's not that much smarter than Fredo. It's not a good place to be. But he finally wants to open up New York saying, and I quote, we cannot wait for the vaccine to hit critical mass, end quote. Really, Cuomo? You don't say. 
It's almost like, we've been talking about this for months now. No? No? Nah. <sighs> Couldn't be. Couldn't be. Because he obviously would have listened if somebody had said to him, hey, you know, this vaccine is definitely not going to get up to critical mass anytime in the next year or so. You might want to open New York, particularly New York City, so that there is something to open once this coronavirus goes away. We've seen people flooding out of New York as far as red residency goes, we've seen businesses just closing at alarming rates in New York City in particular, but obviously across the whole state as well. So obviously, Andrew Cuomo is finally on board with the right decision, which is really weird because he seemed to be navigating this thing in the dumbest conceivable way the entire time. Let's recap. So he closed New York too late to begin with. The virus had been going around for a month and the left angle at that time was Trump's trying to fearmonger people into being scared so he can implement martial law. So we have to pretend like this virus isn't a thing and we need to tell everybody to come down to Chinatown and do all this sort of stuff. And like every official in New York, including Cuomo and de Blasio, were encouraging everybody to go out and live their normal lives. Then they tried to blame or Cuomo tried to blame the virus in particular on Europe, calling it a European virus, which is really weird because it didn't originate in Europe and no one refers to it as a European virus. Even if the variant started there, the actual virus originated from China. We all know that now definitively, and the evidence is coming out increasingly so, mind you, that this was in fact manipulated in a lab and got out due to some sort of accident in the most innocent conceivable timeline. I still have my doubts that there's any innocence going on in the country with the fucking gulags. So neither here nor there at the moment. Then Andrew Cuomo decides to try to blame the virus on Donald Trump, which is really weird because Trump had actually taken concrete action to try to stop the spread months before Cuomo ever actually lifted a finger. Then he tried to throw shade at Florida, even though they handled this virus much better without, you know, locking everyone down. And for that matter, Florida's a really good comparison to New York because they have very comparable population sizes. They have very high traffic as far as travel goes. And in Florida's case, they actually had an older populace, and yet they managed to not kill quite as many grandmas as Andrew Cuomo, who was clearly trying to kill all the grandmas. Then when the virus started to die down a little bit in the summer, Cuomo kept everybody locked up, proving once again that if there is a bad slash wrong decision to be made, Andrew Cuomo will seek it out and make it. Now, Biden is president, so he suddenly realizes that New York is going to fall apart if they don't reopen, which could have been avoided had he not botched the whole thing so extremely from the beginning. But, you know, he's trying now. And for this complete and utter display of ineptitude, Fredo and training got a book deal, a commemorative poster, and a consideration for U.S. Attorney General. Oh, and by the way, an Emmy Award. I mean... I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Fuck every last person, dead or alive, who voted for this buffoon. Moving on. So, Representative Jayapal, she's, uh, she's like Maisie Hirono, except she's less relevant somehow, and probably less crazy, although she's really making an attempt to take that crown from her as well. Rep Jayapal tests positive for COVID-19, blames Republicans who refuse to wear masks during Capitol riots. So basically... Long story short, during the Capitol riots, a lot of the representatives and members of Congress were kind of shuffled into back rooms or side rooms, and obviously they were being protected to the best of the Capitol Police's ability at that time, and they were all obviously kind of sequestered off, 
not by party or anything like that. So Representative Jayapal ended up in a room with a bunch of Republicans and, and other Democrats. It wasn't like she was the only Democrat there. And she's complaining that all the Republicans were mocking all the people wearing masks and that they were being mean to anyone who was wearing masks and they refused to wear masks and blah, 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 blah. Oh, but wouldn't you know, Representative Jayapal wasn't wearing a mask either. I know. I know you're shocked. The left, these Democrats, they could never be this hypocritical. Oh, this must be your first time listening to our show. So... She wasn't wearing a mask. She was caught on camera, both photo and video, not wearing a mask. This obviously surfaced, and then she had to come up with some sort of excuse for why she wasn't wearing a mask. After bitching and complaining that all of the evil Republicans were the only ones not wearing masks, and that obviously resulted in her COVID-19 diagnosis. We, of course, know this because we've contacted Trace, contact traced every single second of her life when she wasn't in the building that day. So we can verify definitively that one of the Republicans, none of which have tested positive for COVID that we're aware of, gave her this virus. I would say neither here nor there, but it's very much here and very much there. So, what's her excuse for not wearing a mask? Well, after being caught red-handed, or in this case, diaperless-faced, she is making the claim that she was told by some member of the security team or the Capitol Police that she needed to take, to take her mask off, her COVID mask off, so that she could put a gas mask on. Yet, nowhere anywhere near her in the picture, is there somebody ready to hand her a gas mask? So, if she was so concerned about the mask wearing, one would assume that she could have worn her mask right up until somebody handed her the gas mask that she was supposed to be putting on, but she wasn't because she's a lying sack of shit. There's really just no other way of saying it. Lying sack of shit. So... That's uh, Representative Jayapal, the, uh, our moral better and intellectual superior, somebody who we'll obviously be hearing from from now until probably my death, unfortunately. As a matter of fact, I have no doubt, as I don't even need to look, I can confirm this because I know every single Democrat in the House voted to impeach Donald Trump again. Now, you may remember how I reacted to the first meaningless impeachment, and my thought at the time was, let's go for the goddamn record, baby. We made it. We got it just under the wire, but we made it. Donald Trump is the first president to be impeached twice. He's the first president to be impeached twice in a single term. He's the first president to be impeached for doing nothing wrong. He's also the first president to be impeached in a wholly partisan impeachment. That was the first time around. And the first president to be impeached twice and remain in office, even for a couple of days, which is ultimately what ended up happening here. So what is the impeachment all about? Why are they doing this now? I think I touched on this a little bit in the past, uh, maybe last episode. But basically, the idea here is that they don't ever want Donald Trump to ever be able to run for office again. And more importantly than that, they don't want anyone like Donald Trump to ever run for office again. And I don't mean a Republican, and I don't mean a billionaire, because they will all fucking bend over backwards the second Jeff Bezos wants to run for office so that we can just anoint him king, because he's basically that anyway. Neither here nor there. I know I'm using that a lot, but I'm going on some tangents here. You're gonna have to just bear with me. Strap in, folks. So... Impeachment. Why are we impeaching Donald Trump? Well, the reason that they're impeaching Donald Trump is supposedly because he incited violence and, and an insurrection at the Capitol. Now, they keep using that word. Boy, oh boy, would these people ever know what to do 
with an actual insurrection if they ever faced one. I mean, really, a hundred idiots carrying flags is your idea of an insurrection. Whew, wow, I'm, I'm really happy things didn't get uglier on January 20th, but a part of me loved to see how these people would react to an actual insurrection of some magnitude that wasn't just a bunch of fucking idiots, again, w- waving flags and, and beating up Capitol Police for no reason. So, they're impeaching him because he supposedly incited the riot, which is really weird because they're also pulling Parler off the internet because they were telling everybody that Parler was the people on Parler were planning the riots on there, which is even weirder because Glenn Greenwald looked into this. You could check him out at substack.glengreenwald.com, I believe. And um, he's one of the last few journalists left, particularly on the left. And he discovered that, sure enough, a lot of the planning, uh, supposedly, that was going on for this riot was being done on Facebook and Twitter. So Parler apparently doesn't get the benefits of Section 230, which is leading me to believe that maybe Trump was onto something when he wanted to just repeal it altogether. I was more in favor of shaving down the language, but I'm starting to wonder if Section 230 isn't just another round of uh, of, of net neutrality. Remember when everyone told you, oh, if, if net neutrality doesn't go through or whatever, we're, we're all going to have to pay a bajillion freaking dollars for internet and we're never going to be able to do... Has any of that happened? No. We were told the world was going to end if net neutrality didn't wasn't maintained. And, uh, and it wasn't. And sure enough, we're all fine. At last I checked, my bills haven't gone up at all, really. So I, I'm wondering if Section 230 is in that same category. So on one hand, Trump incited the riot with his speech on the day of January 6, 2021. And on the other hand, the riot was planned in advance on Parler. These two things cannot be true at once. I, I know that neither of them are true because, well, yeah, maybe there were some people planning this on Parler, but there were more people planning it on Twitter and Facebook, and Section 230 should cover all three of those platforms from any of that happening. Mind you, Parler does have terms and services that state that you cannot plot violence or, or you know, threaten violence on there. They're a free speech platform, but they're a free speech platform in the modern-day American sense, where there are certain things you cannot say. You can't be lewd, lascivious, uh, call of, of make any calls to violence. Those things are not protected speech. While even I think they probably should be, because freedom of speech is a lot easier to interpret when all speech is free. But unfortunately, we had to muddy the waters so that things like this can ultimately happen. So now we're down to Trump, who may have incited a riot, even though I'm, I'm pretty sure he specifically said, we're going to march down to the Capitol, and you people are going to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That's almost an exact quote. You can go find the actual quote if you like. It will be read ad nauseum by anybody representing Donald Trump in this impeachment trial, which is weirdly still going to happen even though he's actually out of office. Sort of bizarre, but again, this is not about keeping Trump out of office. He's already out of office. This is about keeping Trump out of your lives forever. They think, for some reason, even though the first impeachment did not go well for them politically, and Donald Trump actually got a bump in his approval ratings, and then, of course, COVID hit, uh, but they're, they're going to try this again in hopes that this will bury Donald Trump once and for all, and that he will no longer have any political clout. Um, they also want to tie this to the 14th Amendment, because if they could convict him of being part of an insurrection, he can then legally no longer hold office, but I'm pretty sure that actually requires like a legal, actual conviction, not a senatorial impeachment conviction, 
that's probably open for discussion amongst legal scholars in your circles. But the impeachment thing is it's it's a joke to begin with, right? Because the, the best possible outcome for the Democrats here is that they remove Trump from office. He's already been removed from office. The worst case scenario for the Democrats is that they embolden him even more. And now he's got something to run on in 2024 or maybe even 2022. We'll talk about that at the very end of the show. But one of the reasons that you know this is a complete and utter farce is the fact that they're talking about holding on to the impeachment articles until Biden's got 100 days to enact his agenda. Biden took no time whatsoever in enacting his agenda, so maybe they could push that forward a little bit more. But amongst the impeachment managers representing, I guess, the country in this case, right, because it's really a case, it's kind of the United States versus Donald Trump, if this were an actual legal court proceeding, which it's not really, but for for the sake of an easy comparison for people to understand, the impeachment managers are the people there saying that, yes, that they're, they're making the case for impeachment. One of them is Eric Swalwell, you know, Fang Fang with the Bang Bang, yeah, the guy who was sleeping with a Chinese spy, a, a, a country that is not only our greatest adversary in the world, but conveniently has our current president in its back pocket. So, you know, why not Eric Swalwell? The other person, the actual lead impeachment manager, is Jamie Raskin from Maryland. Now, a lot of you are probably, who the, who the hell is Representative Jamie Raskin from Maryland? Why is this such a bold-faced troll move? And, you know, hats off to the left. They finally figured out how to troll. This is an example of that. J Jamie Raskin joined Congress in late 2016. So he's been there for a cup of coffee. He's currently the head of an impeachment for a president that supposedly incited a riot by not accepting election results. Well, wouldn't you know, the first thing that Jamie Raskin did when he got into office in 2017 was challenge election results in 10 districts in Florida in the 2016 election. Uh, this is particularly weird because I was told that challenging election results is not only seditious, but treasonous. This is not a coincidence, folks. This is a bold move of trollery from the left. They think they've won, which for the moment they have. But they think that they will hold power forever, which is where... They're making their mistakes. So here we are on our second meaningless impeachment. I can only hope that we win back the House in 2022 and we just start piling these fucking things up on a weekly basis. We're impeaching Joe Biden every fucking week until he either just gives up or rolls over and dies, whatever comes first. And then we impeach Kamala Harris until Kamala Harris is out of office. And that may very well be part of my Trump 2022 plan that we will talk about at the end of the show. But let's get into Biden's executive orders because the impeachment is just it, it is just the first one was nonsense. This one is just it, it, it doesn't I, I can't even come up with a word that's like it's more nonsense. It's nonsensical. Like it, it's it's infinitely more nonsensical. The guy is out of office already. What I, I, it we're wasting valuable taxpayer time and dollars on this instead of doing covid relief or infrastructure or whatever it is that they claim that they want to do this is how they're wasting their time and their energy is impeaching a guy that's already out of office it's bizarre i'm aware let's talk about the guy who's in office right now his name is joe biden 
Old Joe. Sleepy, creepy, flippy, floppy, malarkey Joe. He made it, man. He fought his whole life to be president of the United States. If you in, in, in D.C., if you stick around long enough and you suck up to enough Chinese dictators, you can be president too. So he signed 17 executive orders on his first day in office. An- another weird thing, because I was told the number 17 is definitely a sign of QAnon. So maybe, you know, Brian Stelter at Reliable Sources on CNN told me all 17s mean QAnon. So maybe Joe Biden was Q the whole time. Wouldn't that be some shit? But let's look into these 17 executive orders. I'm not going to go through all 17 of them, but there's some big ones here. And I just want to explain how wrong all of these are quickly and hopefully succinctly. Let's start with number one. Let's executive order to stop the border wall construction. For those of you who don't know the history of the border wall, every one of your favorite Democrats voted for some semblance of a wall or a fence or a barrier at the border. This was totally normal, acceptable, and rational at the time. Donald Trump said he wants to build a wall, and suddenly anything pertaining to walls, if you lived between walls, you were a racist. If your last name is Wall, you're a racist. All things pertaining to walls then became racist. If you have wall hangings in your house, they too are racist, and the fact that they're hanging probably makes it even more racist somehow. But stop border wall construction. So great, we've spent a lot of time and money to build a wall to stop illegal immigration. This is a net plus for the country, whether or not Mexico pays for it, which they were going to had we actually continued the wall, because then all those people that are trying to flee Mexico would have to stay in Mexico, and then they're the Mexican government's problem. That's how they were going to pay for the wall. It was never going to be a check written from the President of the United States or President of Mexico to the President of the United States with a memo line saying border wall. It was never going to happen. That's not what he meant. He was never promising that. Yet that is the promise that apparently the left heard. It's like the one thing that they heard Donald Trump say that they're suddenly super, super keen on the details of, even though it was clearly a little bit more broad and vague than we're going to get a physical check from the Mexican government to pay for this wall. That was never going to happen. It was silly of anyone to interpret it that way, but we're dealing with the left and everything that they do is silly. We're ending the, quote, Muslim travel ban which is really bizarre. Oh, look, I know Trump named it that. But the ban itself, first and foremost, does not include all Muslim countries. It, in fact, doesn't include most Muslim countries. And it certainly doesn't include some of the ones that we should probably be worried about. But it does include Argentina. I'm sorry, Venezuela. I always confuse those two. Venezuela and North Korea, neither of which are Muslim-majority countries. So, yes, while Trump called it the Muslim ban, on the campaign trail because it was just an easy and simple way to nail it down for people who aren't going to read the details, which is virtually everyone in America, the Muslim ban has been lifted, whatever. Now, the reason that those seven countries were listed in the first place was because Barack Obama put them on a list restricting travel. Donald Trump came over the top and just banned travel altogether from all these countries. Now, why? It was not because they were all Muslim countries, because they're not all Muslim countries. It was because they're all poorly developed countries that don't even have enough of a system in place for them to produce a valid ID for us to be able to vet people when they come to the United States. So executive order number one, making it easier for illegal immigrants to come here. Executive order number two, making it easier for people who we cannot vet to come here. Neither of these things is good for national security, quite obviously. 
Number three, we're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. Great. This did nothing for anybody, literally nothing for anybody. It's going to apparently take 30 days to go into effect, but we are going to go back into this agreement, which means that we're going to sign a check for a billion plus dollars and give it to this organization for no reason. It's a non-binding agreement that no one is, is held to any sort of standard. Everyone's just there. They sign. They send a check. Look at us. We care about the climate. That's exactly what that is. There, there is nothing there that's going to, in any way, shape, or form, actually help the climate because again it's non-binding and none of the countries particularly the ones that are actually causing the problems like china and india are going to reduce their carbon emissions because we had them sign a piece of paper it's just not going to happen china can give two fucks they run everybody in these organizations across the world anyway there's like two million members of the ccp that are strewn about the world and how much do you want to bet that they're involved in these globalist organizations because they're smart enough to know that they could coerce them into doing what china wants them to do because that's all China really cares about is making everyone do what they want to do. So we're going to end up back in the Paris Climate Accord. It's not going to do anything to help us. It's certainly not going to do anything to help the environment. Even if we specifically here in the United States kept to the standards that the, that the Paris Climate Accord put forth, it would reduce the global temperature over the next hundred years by less than a fraction of a degree. It is not doing anything. We honestly could be on our way to zero point energy faster than we will ever reverse any climate change that they're talking about. And once we hit zero point energy, then we don't need to burn carbon and all this sort of stuff. We can just have energy in perpetuity with no potential side effects. Potentially. We don't know because we've never been there. Moving on from there. Ending the Keystone XL pipeline and revoke all oil and gas development at National Wildlife Monuments. So this is Biden's big move right out the gate. You know, he kept telling all the frackers, I'm not going to add fracking, kept telling the energy industry, I'm not going to do that. Donald Trump got us to energy and energy independence in his four years in office. Poof, gone. Keystone pipeline, gone. A million plus jobs, gone on day one. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of, a, of an economic struggle, certainly, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a depression or a recession, but we've got a lot of people that are unemployed right now. Adding another million to that list, not a good move. He'll get away with it, though, because everyone in the media is, is, is going to be doing nothing but softly caressing Joe Biden's taint with the tip of their tongue for the next fucking four to eight years or whatever it may be. Frankly, they may praise Joe Biden long beyond his term and, for that matter, his life because he got rid of the bad orange man. By the way, check out the link in the show notes if you want to get yourself a Don't Blame Me, I Voted for Orange Man Bad t-shirt. It's available in my Tee Public store in the show notes. As per our usual arrangement, I don't really want to, nor do I have the capability of really making any extra money on all this. So anything that is made on my end will probably go to a charity in all likelihood, the Wounded Warriors Foundation. So that's uh, that's my charity of choice. That's probably where I'll send the money. Even if you don't like the shirt, you want to send four or five bucks to them. Maybe somebody you know likes the shirt. Go to the T Public link in the show notes there. It says, like, Right Opinion Merch. Click the link. You'll see uh, my store pop up there, and the newest shirt is the Don't Blame Me, I Voted for Orange Man Bad t-shirt. All right, number five on this list of Biden executive orders, we are going to count non-citizens on the U.S. Census again. Weird. 
I have no problem with us counting non-U.S. citizens on the U.S. Census. We should know who's here. And that way we can actually get a grasp on whether or not there's like 11 million or 20 million illegal immigrants in this country. Though That would be a nice number to know, even if we're not going to necessarily do anything about it. But what they want to do is they want to count the non-citizens as far as how we delegate congressional seats and how we delegate things like that. That is not right. First and foremost... Doesn't it incentivize border states to just let as many people in as conceivably possible so that they can increase their representation in Congress? It does, and it will, and that's basically what's going on anyway. You see all these sanctuary cities, sanctuary states. You could just completely ignore immigration law, and instead of being punished for it, you'll be rewarded with more seats in Congress. Isn't that awful? Like, what would be the positive of counting non-citizens on the census for that purpose? It's because they want to reconfigure everything so that there's more representation in blue states because blue states are the ones that have been housing all these illegal immigrants because red states have been deporting them, and rightfully so. By the way, Joe Biden also tried to stop all deportations as one of these things, which I may not necessarily get to because this list is getting long and my time is getting short, but that's another thing that he wants to do is to basically halt all deportations, presumably so he can make all of these people citizens, and then... They, they will legitimately get representation in Congress, and at that case, rightfully so, but we shouldn't be making criminals citizens based solely on the fact that they're criminals and they're not citizens. I, I know. I know. I'm a monster. I get it. Number six, this will probably be the last one I cover because I don't know that I have I don't know that I have the gusto to get through the other 11. We're going to rejoin the World Health Organization. Yes. That World Health Organization, you know, the one that was just lying and covering up for China at every turn in the early days of this pandemic. They didn't call for travel bans until two months after Trump had started to ban travel. They, they, this, this entire organization is quite clearly, yet again, I feel like this has now just become like a meme and it's not. They are in the back pocket of the Chinese Communist Party and they were willing to do anything, including completely burying their own credibility to cover up for China's malfeasance or misfeasance in the case of the spread of the coronavirus. But now nah, we're just going to go right back in there. We're going to start funding this organization again. This organization fucking lied to everyone. These are the world experts on these types of issues, and they just fucking lied. They just pretended that it wasn't airborne. They pretended it wasn't an issue. Oh, no, no, no. Not only are travel bans not recommended, but we recommend that you don't ban travel. Like, really, you should just keep travel going. As much as, look, Donald Trump's not an epidemiologist. He's not a doctor. He's not an expert on anything. Donald Trump handled this thing infinitely better than the World Health Organization ever did or ever made any attempt to do. But we're going to go back in there. We're going to fund him. We're going to send Fauci. He's going to join the board. He's going to sit there and Jeffrey Tubin his way through Zoom meetings over there now that he's uh, he's back with his buddies over at the CCP. I mean, WHO. So that's it. I, I, I don't have enough energy to get through all these things. Here's some speculation to leave you with because I had a couple of things. I mean, there's a lot of questions floating around out there. And I, I think people deserve answers. And I don't know if you're going to get them from the right places, but you can get them from the right opinion. So in closing, some speculation. Why didn't Trump pardon Julian Assange? i got to tell you, this is probably purely personal. Uh, Assange had multiple opportunities to give up his source on the DNC emails. He went as far as to say it wasn't Russia publicly, but wasn't willing to actually provide any hard evidence to prove it wasn't Russia. 
Had he done so, we could have avoided a lot of the Russia investigation nonsense. We might have even been able to pin some things on the actual evildoers in this whole case, the Biden administration, the Obama Biden administration at the time, and uh, Jim Comey's FBI and John Brennan's CIA, and had Assange spilled the beans. We might have been able to avoid a lot of the chaos that occurred in the first two to three years of the Trump administration. And, you know, Assange, to his credit, he's tight-lipped, he's a real journalist, he likes to protect his source, that's great, but that doesn't mean that Donald Trump is supposed to pardon you. Sorry, it's probably wholly, entirely a grudge here, and uh, when you have the pardon power, you get to make those decisions. Julian Assange didn't get pardoned, Little Wayne did. One of them supported, the other did not. It's, it's frankly that simple, in my mind, anyway. A similar question has been asked multiple times about Edward Snowden. And for that question, I honestly have no idea why he wouldn't want to pardon Edward Snowden, being that Snowden was vilified by the Obama campaign and the Obama administration, for that matter. So fervently, you'd figure he'd kind of want to undo that just as like a little jab. He didn't. I'm, I'm as shocked as anybody else. Really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Although, I will throw this out there because it's an explanation. I don't know that it's the explanation. But uh, there were some rumors being bandied about that Cocaine Mitch was putting pressure on Trump and his team not to pardon certain people. Otherwise, he might make a bit more of an effort to get some Republicans behind the impeachment conviction, which, again, I really don't know why that matters unless, of course, they are going to try to tie it to the 14th Amendment, barring Trump from ever holding office again. But even if he was impeached and expelled, he could still run for president again, and he should. So, moving on from there, why did Trump revoke the Drain the Swamp executive order? This is a big one. I got I got the answer for you on this one. This is the right opinion, if there ever was one. So, why did Trump revoke this order? Okay, well, what was the order in the first place? Basically, the order he signed, like, on his first day in office, said that members of administra his administration are barred from lobbying the government for five years after leaving office, particularly for foreign governments. And it was a great idea at the time. And it's a great idea in theory, but all it would have done was make it harder for anyone who worked in his administration, A, to find jobs. I mean, it's already apparent that none of these people are, are, are going to be desirables as far as finding any work here in the United States, right? Anybody who's associated with the Trump campaign is going to be blacklisted from any major organization around this country for the foreseeable future. So he would only be kneecapping his own people who were there for him when he needed them. Some of them. Also, he would only be kneecapping his own efforts to remain politically relevant. He is that if all of his best advocates are sidelined for five years, then the left can gain even more ground. And it's not in anyone's best interest to do that, particularly Donald Trump. If he wants to remain relevant in politics, if he wants to run again in 2024, he needs these people out there pushing his agenda on some front. And since they're obviously not going to be able, allowed to do it in the media, maybe they could do it in those smoke-filled back rooms in D.C. and get some stuff done. Um, it's not my favorite method. I hate those smoke-filled back rooms in D.C. I think everyone should be zooming into Congress from their home states, so that their home, their their actual people that they represent, the actual people they represent, can go knock on the door and be like, "Hey, Nancy, maybe put down the ice cream and the vodka and do something for fucking America for once." You feckless cunt. Yes, I use that term very specifically. My 2021 20, New Year's resolution is to use the word cunt more often, so I'm going to try to get as many cunts up in this show as humanly possible. If that's going to turn you off, let me know now. Maybe I could tune it out a little bit. But last but not least, here's the big speculation. The big Trump 
2022 plan. And I got to hat tip my lovely girlfriend for sharing this idea with me. I think she said she read it somewhere else, but I'm giving her credit for this because this is fucking glorious. I let out a belly laugh, the likes of which you have never actually seen somebody do in real life outside of like a sitcom. This was this is brilliant. I don't know that it's going to happen, mostly because I don't think the GOP is the smart. Never really put much faith in them to begin with. But here is what my lovely lady laid out. Everyone's talking about running in 2024 for Trump. What if he runs in 2022? What if he runs in Florida, becomes a representative in the House? He'll win in Florida in a cakewalk, no doubt about it. It's an easy path back into government if he wants it. But why would he just want to be a representative in the House? (laughs) He doesn't want to just be a representative in the House. No, no, no. What if he ends up in the House and then the GOP makes him the Speaker of the House? They win the House back in 2022. They gain the majority. And now Donald Trump is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Then we could impeach Biden and Harris and boom. Donald Trump is the 48th president of the United States, making him not not making him the first and only president to have two presidencies between his terms. Unlikely, for sure. Impossible, hardly. Just ask 2020. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm not saying it's even probable. I'm saying it's fucking brilliant, and it should definitely happen. I'm just saying. And then you can have Trump playing the Nancy. To Biden, oh my God. And then Nancy Pelosi would have to sit there and be the minority leader and watch Donald Trump run the fucking house every day. Oh, take my motherfucking money. Anyway, I'm done. I got, I, I'm I'm actually done this time. I love all of you. I really do. This country's fucking falling apart, but I got you guys. And I really do appreciate every one of you for tuning in, liking, sharing, subscribing, all that good stuff. If you haven't done so already, check out our friends over at hamimediagroup.podbean.com and ratsaladreview.com. They got awesome stuff going on over there. Hami Media Group's got a lot of pop culture, kind of fringy stuff, a lot of side projects from the people over at hackerhameen.podbean.com. They got this really, really good-looking fella who does the Wednesday locker room over there with Strangler Steve King and Billy Ray. Unfortunately, you guys can't see him, but you can hear the sultry tones of his voice, and you will be probably turned on, assuming that that sort of thing does it for you. But neither here nor there. Go check out hackerhameen.podbean.com and hamimediagroup.podbean.com and ratsaladreview.com. They got a lot of music reviews, a lot of rock and roll, a lot of metal. They got some other shows on there as well. Definitely worth checking out both of those. If you like this show, you'll like those programs probably. Actually, my show is really nothing like any of the other programs on either of those podcasts, but they're, they're kind enough. They have the gumption, they have the temerity, and the testicular fortitude to put the right opinion on their airwaves. Not exactly an easy move these days, and we thank them. So go support them. Check me out on Twitter and Instagram at RightOpinionPod, and subscribe to the show, therightopinion.podbean.com, also available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. I don't even know that I'm available on all those, but I'm probably available on your podcatcher of choice. Just search The Right Opinion. It's the one that's black and white and red all over, like the New York Times used to be. Anyway, we have hit that part of the program where I have to remind you that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion, and you only get it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. I'm Harrison Bergeron. I'll talk to you guys next time. 
Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.